You're listening to Wiretap with Jonathan Goldstein. Today's episode, Vacation. A couple days after he'd returned from his sixth grade Christmas vacation in Las Vegas, my friend Lenny had me over to his house. Along with the rotating dice keychain and the pink Circus Circus dealer's visor, Lenny had brought back a black velvet poster of an ace that he taped up to his bedroom wall. He told me he had won it at the hotel's kitty crap table. The lucky event, he said, inspired him to change his middle name to Ace. He was now Lenny Ace Rosenblatt. Possessing the middle name Stuart, I had always considered middle names a baptismal act of gratuitous cruelty. I never realized it was something one had any control over. Now that Lenny was Lenny Ace, he held himself a little differently. He took to calling his mother Toots, and when he walked to the kitchen freezer to get his fudgicles, he did so like a seasoned hustler on the make. With every vacation he took, there was always a new Lenny. The year after, returning from Easter break in Miami, he brought to school a bag of watermelon candy. This was the early 80s, and watermelon candy had not yet made its way to Canada. We were a nation of lemon and lime suckers, stoically anchored to the end of lollipop sticks. And walking into school with a bag of watermelon candies was the seventh grade Canadian version of disco dancing through the doors of Studio 54 with a sack of uncut Colombian cocaine. Overnight, Lenny went from being a brown corduroy wearing spitball target to being a conquering hero. After begging him for a taste for days, he finally, begrudgingly, agreed to trade me one candy for my winter boots, which he and his new popular friends tossed onto the school roof, leaving me to walk home in my socks. From that point on, one thing was made clear to me. Vacations changed people. Our family vacations changed nothing. Worse, they offered solid proof that our fate was immutable. That no matter where we went or what we did, there would be no escape from the stewardness of my fate. Our family trips orbited around our crammed Valari station wagon, that ten minutes into our voyage stank of hard-boiled eggs, salami, and feet. We'd sit there, shoulder to shoulder, drinking scorching cans of cherry soda on our way to some cheap-ass motel that had the prefix Econo in its title. Once there, we'd sit on the edge of the bed, watch cable TV while eating more boiled eggs, and basically endure the itchiness of our own company in a location an hour and a half away from our house. At the end of the trip, we'd return home, run down, sweaty, and a little more dissatisfied with each other, and always a little appalled by the onions and cat urine smell of our home, a smell whose full intensity one only becomes awakened to after returning from three days of fresh air on the road. Now, as an adult, I can vacation anywhere I want. Sort of. Two summers ago, I was living in Chicago, and my girlfriend Hetty and her daughter Zuzu and I had grown tired of looking at the same four walls of the apartment. At this point, Zuzu's just finished grade four, and she's been on summer vacation for a week, and all she and Hetty are doing is going to the public pool every day and watching TV. I decide we need to get out on the open road. I decide that we need a vacation. We have earned it. Where do you want to go for our trip? I ask Hetty. Rome, she says. Why Rome, I ask. I like the sound of it, she says. But with our time and budget, 
a European vacation was out of the question. I pull out an atlas and we look at the Great Lakes. Let's go swimming in Lake Superior, Hetty says. Lake Superior is the biggest of the Great Lakes. Swimming in it seems too pretentious somehow. Let's go to Lake Michigan, I say. We could circle around it so we can see what it looks like from every which way. And also, whenever we get tired of driving, we could stop and take a dip. We all agree that this is a good thing to do. The truth is also, I have a terrible sense of direction, and going around the lake seems like the perfect way to not get lost. So the next day, I rent a minivan, and we load it full of clothes, food, and books. Then we take things out. Then we put things back. Then we decide to stop and eat lunch. After that, Hetty decides that we should photocopy her manuscript she's been working on to take with us, just in case the house burns down while we're away. We go to Kinko's, and then before we know it, it's 7 o'clock at night. We pile into the car and hit the road. After about 20 minutes on the road, Hetty and Zuzu decide we should stop and take a dip. We haven't even gone any place yet, I say. We're tired, says Suzu. We stop in an industrial part of Indiana, and we pull into the first beach we see. It's right beside a big factory, puffing black smoke into the sky. The sun is setting as we get into our bathing suits. Hetty sits on the beach and reads. The water's been warming all day, and so it's tepid like bath water, as Zuzu and I walk in. Zuzu starts playing with a boy named Mikey. Mikey is a hefty lad, who appears to be about thirteen. But Zuzu says he just looks big for his age. He has a mustache, I say. Zuzu assures me that it's just dirt. Zuzu and Mikey jump up over the little waves. I try to get in on the action, and so I jump up too, while trying to catch Hetty's eye on the shore. I jump as high as I can, and just as I'm really getting into it, Mikey lobs a fistful of lake mud at my chest. I look at my chest. It looks like farm manure dripping down a white barn wall. I keep looking at it. Then I look at Mikey. Why'd you do that, I ask. Mikey shrugs. I wipe the mud off my chest and join Hetty on the blanket. Did you see what just happened, I ask. That teenager just threw a lump of crap at you, she says, not looking up from her book. Behind us is the factory. I stare at it through the dusk and decide that this is the most terrible beach I have ever been on. But just the same, at the moment, it is the exact beach that I want. This terrible beach is like a photograph of my insides, stressed with work and life worries that I'm trying to shake loose. Yes, I think, I feel just like an industrial factory beach at sunset. A sunny beach with overpriced lemonade and rich people would make me want to cry. This beach doesn't outclass me. It's sort of comforting. I lean back on the blanket and cross my hands over my chest. I love this beach. When the sun has completely disappeared, we get back into the minivan and look for a place to stay. The nearest place we find is a motel called the Dollar Hotel. It costs $12 a night. We decide to stay. In the room, the carpet is all cigarette burns. You can't even tell what color it used to be. The room looks like the kind of place where you'd plan an assassination. I decide to go out and get us some food, 
Before I go, I tell Hetty and Zuzu that under no circumstances are they to open the door while I'm gone. I come up with an elaborate secret code of knocks for when I get back. But when I return, my arms are so full of fast food that I am unable to perform the secret knock. I kick the door with my foot, and Zuzu immediately lets me in. Hetty and Zuzu sleep in the bed on the left. I sleep on the bed on the right, the bed closest to the door. We eat our salads, baked potatoes, and chocolate milkshakes, and we use my bed as the table. The bed sheets are see-through, and there are dirt handprints on the wallpaper above our beds. I tell Hetty and Zuzu that tonight we're sleeping in our clothes. It'll be just like camping, I say. The next morning, we get up early and we continue on our voyage. We travel around the lake, and over the next few days, we stop at the smallest chapel in America, a place called the Mystery Spot, where the laws of gravity do not apply. And we ride over a bridge that seems to dissolve into clouds on the other end. We spend a week on the road, and when we are finished, we are right back where we started from, just like when you wake up in the morning after a dream. You know, I can't remember the last time I took an actual vacation, mm. like a cruise ship that has a 24-hour buffet or going to Cancun and singing the Hands Up song, you know? Ooh. And uh, quite frankly, I don't know the next chance I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have to be able to do that. Jonathan, I haven't hit the beach since I was a kid, and the whole family drove to Florida. Really? Like it's been years, years and years and years. I'm tied down to the, the shop. I've got... Uh, I've got the house to look after, uh, uh-huh. and the, the money. So it's, a, there's, it's an issue, the money, you know? So I'm, I'm with you totally there. Uh-huh. But, I mean, don't you think that's sad? It's you know, it doesn't sad. Every, doesn't every I've... man deserve a vacation? Uh, absolutely. I might not be able to get away from it all, but I've got my techniques. How do you mean? Well, it's, it's kind of, this is a survival thing, you know? I mean, I haven't been able to get out much, so I've started just kind of going in. Go, well, how, how do you mean going in? It, it's, it involves sitting down and breathing and, you know, uh, kind of maybe imagination. What do you mean? Like you pretend to go to go away someplace? It's, like you make believe? Like the way children do? It's like that. Mm-hmm. It's like that. You've got to really go with it and you've got to work with that, the make believe. You visualize, let's say. You know, they, there's books about this stuff. Mm-hmm. I'll sit on my fanny, nice, comfortable chair, maybe a little drink next to me just in case, a little deep breathing. And then I start visualizing about things, you know, whether it's a, a, a nice forest grove around me, you know, little birds chirping. I try to see the sun coming through the leaves, dapple effect, the whole deal. I try to hear the little babbling brook. You've got to hear it, John. You gotta hear the babbling book. Um, so you're telling me like you feel as relaxed or after one of these little inner uh, voyages as you would like you know after like a, a weekend trip to to Plattsburgh, New York. The whole point of this, Jonathan, is that I haven't been on a weekend to Plattsburgh in years. So this is the best you can get, really. This is it. Something that's important to me that I always do on the last day of my vacation mm-hmm. is I is I will go and pick up some souvenirs for mm-hmm. those that I 
that I care about. Mm-hmm. You know, a little a little knickknack, a little chachki, if you will. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, see, that's a thing. Like with make believe, a little adventure. It's like you can't. It doesn't cut like no, that. That's right. Um, the souvenir of the of the inner uh, vacation is a is a different kind of souvenir. It's a little less tangible. Um, there's something that I take away with me. Mm-hmm. Give me an example. Uh, they're like, I, I don't want to say songs, but maybe phrases. Like what are some examples of these phrases? It, it kind of, I, could, I have to get into a little bit of a mood here, you know? Oh. It's not something that I bring up all the time, but here I could... <sighs> okay. Billy? Sorry. Are you okay? Um yeah, 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 I'm okay. What what was that? I haven't figured it out yet. I think it's some sort of like condensed version. It's like a fast forward. Do you know what I mean? It's like a replay. It's a replay. A replay of what? Um, of the sounds and the, the the motions and the textures of the of the inner vacation. So that little that little sound that you're doing, where you're just going like like that, that represents the whole trip, like in the way that maybe uh, in the way that a keychain might. Yeah, I to put it crudely. You think you want to try this out sometime? Why, is it something that you'd, you'd like to try? Have you ever tried doing this with someone else? I've tried with girlfriends in the past, yeah. Oh, really? I mean, it, it takes a little practice, but uh, they have to be open-minded. You you would want to go on a vacation with me? I think it would be nice, but not, not a, nothing like a weekend the equivalent. I, I, I'm sort of flattered. That you would that you would want to uh, that you would want to undertake something. Well, like I would want you to experience it. Would we would we stay in separate uh, hotel or motel rooms? We'd have to negotiate that before. I think we'd have to set up some sort of parameters. I'd be fine with us staying together in the same bed. Well, would it be? Are you imagining a? I, uh, I don't want to really imagine that. Are you imagining a king size bed? It would have to be pretty big. We need to breathe together deeply. Okay. We have to um, maybe vocalize a little, like 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 this. Okay. Okay. Can you feel the hot sun, Jonathan? Um. Uh, doesn't doesn't it feel good on your skin, Jonathan? Oh yeah. That's yeah. Okay. I yeah I you feel know? it. You're pretty good at this. I do this. That's what I do. Okay. Where are we going, by the by? The beach. Just sitting on, lying on the beach. It doesn't matter what beach it is. Okay, we're lying on a beach. We're lying on the beach. Okay, we're on the beach. Yeah. Can you hear? Can you hear the surf? Can you hear that? Yes, I can. Can you feel? Can you feel your body resting against the sand through the towel? Can you feel that? I can feel that. There's a towel underneath us, right? And right. underneath the towel, there's sand, and we could crunch into it. You, mm. you know. Can you dig your ankles? Mmm, it's so warm. Isn't the yeah. sand warm, John? It is. This is very sensual. Yeah. You feel that? I can. There's seagulls, I think. Oh, no, no, I don't like seagulls. No, okay, no, no that's it. Get rid of the seagulls. Yeah, no seagulls. 
we'll, we'll lie here. Okay. We'll lie here for a little while, and then maybe we'll go for a dip later. I don't want to go for a dip. Well, maybe later on. Are we on the same towel? No, we have our own towels. Okay. We have our own towels. This is your vacation, too, Jonathan. You decide, too, what you like. Right. So so relaxing. (sighs) Maybe I should have brought some paperwork. You know, Billy, I hate to do this, but I think I'm going to have to actually fly home. I, I think I've just got too much work at the office to get to. You want to, I could just stay here on the beach and you can go if you want. I think I'm going to have to. Okay, John. But you're going to stay? I'm staying on the beach, man. So nice. We really had three months of um, just terrible illness in our house. We live in this in this apartment out in Brooklyn, and um, like everybody in our family kept getting sick. My daughter would come home from school and she'd get really sick, and she'd have this really high fever, and then she'd pass it on to her sister, who's two years old, and then my wife would get sick, and then I'd get sick, and there were like three or four trips to the emergency room in the in the, in the space of four months, and a blizzard actually hit New York, and we were just feeling terrible and. Uh, and worn out and sort of tired of being in New York. And there is this place that we had gone to, I guess, two or two years ago. It's this tiny little island um, in the Gulf of Mexico off the Gulf Coast of Florida. And it's really an incredible place. You can't believe you're in Florida when you go down there. It feels like you're arriving at Gilligan's Island or something. You kind of go really slowly on this boat, and then you pull up at this little wooden dock, and you get off on this island that's about four miles long. And it has, I don't know, maybe like a hundred houses on it and no hotels or anything like that. There's only one restaurant. There are no cars out there. And we had been there two years ago. It was by far the best vacation of, of my life. It was just an incredible place. I couldn't believe that I was on this island. So in this stretch of sort of, of, of horrible sickness, we just kept saying like, oh, if we could just go on vacation. And then we started saying, oh, if we could just get there to this house on this beach, you know, the sun would beat down on us and we'd all get healthy and we would all get tan. And it would be just totally transforming for us. Six months ago, as it turns out, Hurricane Charlie, which just devastated um, southern Florida, had come come through there, and the first landmass that it hit was this tiny little island, this place, North Captiva Island. But then I called the guy whose house we had rented two years ago, um, and I talked to him. You know, and he said, oh, no, 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 you believe me, you won't even notice that there was a storm here. You know, it's, everything's back to normal, and uh, the beach is beautiful and untouched. He said, you know, there might be one or two places where there's some construction still going on, you know, people fixing their roofs or something because they were late getting their insurance money. But otherwise, you know, the place is pristine. It looks fantastic. My house looks great. Come on down. So he said, fine, sure, great. We arranged to go to that house. It's pitch dark uh, by the time we arrive, and we start driving over to the island. And at this point, it's starting to rain, and uh, and this is an open-topped boat, and so we're covering our kids up. And they're both, of course, feverish, and their noses are running, and they look terrible, and, and, and it's just like driving, driving sheets of rain. And we pull up to the dock, and as we're unloading, I look down, into the water, and I realized that there are all these dead fish floating around, dozens and dozens of dead fish floating there. 
and I turned to the guy who's our who's our boat captain and said, you know, what's what's going on with all these these dead fish? And he goes, oh yeah, geez, it's sort of bad timing. You're coming down here now because um, this is the time of the red tide. It's just an algae bloom that comes through about this time every year, and it suffocates a bunch of the fish in the in the Gulf around here. And he said, so you know, um, you're going to notice some dead fish when you're when you're out on the beach, but you know, it's nothing to worry about. So there we were, it was dark of night, and the rain was still driving down. We had our kids, we put our kids in this golf cart, and we piled all our stuff on it, and we were just getting totally soaked. And uh, we're driving to our house, and um, the, like the first turn we took, the light on our golf cart um, sort of shone, bloomed on this giant pile of trash. And so we kept driving a little farther, and then we'd see another huge pile of stuff, and we finally got to our house, and we looked around, and our house was standing and seemed perfectly fine. And then on three sides of our house, there were just these completely knocked down homes that had just been devastated by this hurricane, and were still just like huge piles of rubble. And we kind of just sort of talked ourselves into like, oh, it's not a big deal. And and then the next morning, we wake up to the sound of um, of nail guns, like nail guns just going off, going off all around us. And it turned out, you know, the construction construction crews had had arrived. And we're working on all these houses around us, these houses that had been toppled down, you know, hammering and drilling. It was like being on vacation, sort of smack dab in the middle of a construction site. And my wife and I, at this point, were still sort of sort of cheerleading each other, just saying, well, well you know, we're not going to really spend any time in the house anyway. Let's get in our golf cart, and we'll drive down the lane, and we'll go to the beach, and we'll play in the ocean, and, and all will be well. So we get in the golf cart, and we, and we drive, and we, we arrive at the beach. And um, I put my oldest daughter on my shoulder. And as we step onto the beach, I hear her go, what's wrong with them? And we look down the beach, and there are just hundreds of dead fish all over the beach. It's It's like a killing field for fish. They're just everywhere. You couldn't walk a straight line down the beach without stepping on a dead fish. You know, so it became clear to us very quickly, you know, we couldn't really hang out in the house because we were in the middle of this construction site. But as it turns out, we probably um, couldn't spend a lot of time on the beach either because we were surrounded by all these dead fish. That night we got back and um, my wife, Kate, she started sort of uh, complaining that her throat hurt a little bit. And then in the middle of that night at about 3.30 in the morning, she woke up. And she had uh, she had this incredible fever, like a hundred three degree fever, and she had these these blisters on her throat. They were unlike anything I'd ever seen. Part of me is thinking we should we should definitely get get some help, but then the other part of me is saying like not yet, not yet, not yet. We kind of broke in the bank to take this vacation. We, we were sort of scraping the bottom of our finances, but this real um, dread started building in me, thinking like, wow, this is going to be the worst decision I've ever made. You know that I cheaped out on the airlift to the hospital and. Um, my wife's going to die here on this island, and we're never going to get off. During the three days when my wife was sick, the kids were really going um, kind of crazy because there really wasn't much we could do. So um, all we had was the golf cart to um, entertain us. And so, you know, about like seven times a day, I would say to say to them, you guys, you want to go ride in the golf cart? And then we'd go down and put up in the golf cart, and we'd drive around the island and look at... Um, and look at the destruction that Hurricane Charlie had wrought. Then we'd come back and we'd have a snack. So finally, after you know, like three and a half days of being kind of seriously sick, Kate finally um, 
got better and um, it was like the last afternoon of our vacation. We had like this three hour window um, before nightfall where it was really nice and then we were leaving early the next morning. And we decided that we would go to um, the other end of the island. So we get in the golf cart and we drive down there. And the four of us are walking towards the beach and um, there's a guy up on the deck and he's looking out at the ocean. And the view from there was just extraordinary of the ocean. And this, there's this gorgeous white sandy beach that's right on, like if you walk out the doors of that house, you literally step in the sand. And there's this guy up on the deck and, uh, and he looks down at us and he says, hey, you just arriving? And the four of us just kind of looking up at him and we say, no, no, we've been here. We've been here for a week. And he kind of gave us this quizzical look like, how could you have been here for a week? You look terrible. And then like as if he couldn't believe that we'd been there for a week, he goes, well, welcome to paradise. And he kind of does this big grand gesture with his arm kind of taking in the beach and the ocean and everything. And, uh, and it was, really was that moment where I thought, like, I could kill this man, you know. I could actually go up there and, um, and beat him to death with a piece of driftwood or something. One of the things my wife and I had decided after this vacation was that, um, that maybe we'd actually you know, try to take another one at least for a couple of days sometime soon to try to like, you know, make up for this one. So I was saying to Addie, my oldest daughter, a couple of nights ago, so I was putting her to bed, I said, you know, we'll try to go down to Grandma Ann's house and, um, you know, and that's in Florida too and there's a, there's a pool where she lives. And she turned to me and she said, well, I want to go back to, um, I want to go back to the Florida that we were just in. And, uh, and I said, you know, really? You mean the place where we just went for vacation? She said, yeah, yeah, I want, I want to go there. Uh, and I said, well, you know, someday maybe we could, but, but why do you want to go back there? And she said, well, I'm turning four, and, uh, and I'd like to go back there because I think when I'm four, maybe I could sleep in a bunk bed. There were these bunk beds in the house, and so we spent an unbelievable amount of time on this vacation just, just climbing up and down onto this top bunk bed. And I just realized, like, this idea for her of, like, not just being able to play on the bunk bed, but actually sleep up there for the night, like, like nothing could be better than that, you know? So if somebody asked her about her vacation, she would say, yeah, it was great. You know, we, we, I had a wonderful time. And then she would just talk about this happy time she had playing on this bed. And so and that does, like, that does take the sting away from me, you know? Um, yeah, I think, I think she had a perfectly fine time. On Wiretap today, you heard Billy Mavreas and Joel Lovell. Wiretap is written by Jonathan Goldstein and produced by Jonathan Goldstein with Sarah Gilbert and Carolyn Warren. You can reach us through our website at cbc.ca slash wiretap. This summer, tune into Wiretap Sunday afternoon at 1, 4 Pacific Time, and Tuesday evening at 8.30.